What are you doing? I'm leaving. Patrick, you can't. You can't go. You, you can't. You can't. No. Patrick, I won't let you. I won't. I won't. I won't. There's no sense getting hysterical about this whole thing. Patrick, I mean it. Try and stop me. We're going to go for a joyride. You've just made a wrong turn heading south onto strange highways. Enter Death's waiting room, if you dare. And welcome to Strange Highways. I am Paul. And hey guys, it's Terry here. And I hope you all enjoyed our conversation about Invasion of the Body Snatchers. If you didn't, we're going to hold our fingers up and scream at you until uh, until you do. That's the way it has to be. That, yeah, I think that's a, a fair punishment. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Especially if you do the, do it that way too, where it sounds like a pig squealing. Yeah, uh, I'm just going to have to get uh, like really curly hair and just like a mustache and go around, you know, I like people would probably think that I'm trying to do like the pink Panther, but I'm just going to be like, no, no, no. It's my, it's my invasion of the body snatchers cosplay. and just go around and scream at people. It'd be fun. Uh, so yeah. Um, welcome to strange highways. This is uh, a show in which we do normally watch the twilight zone. Uh, we've covered the original series, um, the 60 series and, uh, the both, uh, seasons of the paramount plus, um, that's out there. And we are now in the middle of season one of the eighties revival. However, we're taking a break, doing some detours. Like last week we covered invasion of the body snatchers this week. Um, we are taking another detour and getting in some other, other, uh, short form, uh, anthology television with, uh, Alfred Hitchcock presents. Um, I suggested this to Terry. I got, I was really excited. Um, it, you know, it just, I don't know about you before we get to really talking about it. Wasn't there something just nice to be like, Oh, it's a half hour in black and white. Oh, I'm home. I feel like I'm home now. Yeah. Especially because of our, you know, discussions, which is this whole podcast has been, um, you know, built on the original Twilight Zone, which was in black and white. Yeah, so, yeah, it just felt, back around that era. It just felt like I was like, oh, I'm 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 back with my people that are now dead, like more than sixty years or whatever, right? So, uh, so yeah, um, let's just get into this. Um, I um I am a bad person, and I forgot to do day and date. Um, so it was the air date was April thirteenth, nineteen fifty eight. Um. I, you know, I don't know if you have anything from that day and date. I can look up, uh, uh, movies and songs while we do that real quick. I, I don't have anything. So, okay, great. I so I'm, I'm a hack and fraud. So, right. <laughs> what film? Let me, let me give away my social security number. Uh, one, one second, everybody. I'm just giving up my personal identity. Um, was number one on my so, birthday. Yeah. Yes. So the, I, it's been decades since I've watched this show. So my exposure to it, I'll just get into that. Please do. I did used to watch this around the same period of time when I was a child um, with my grandparents uh, that I would be watching Twilight Zone. And so, like, this is another one of those things that was in heavy rotation late at night. We used to watch Nick at night and just 
put on Alfred Hitchcock Presents or the Alfred Hitchcock Hour and just watch the weirdness happen. So, I mean, just and then the series ran for 10 years. So, I'm, I'm yeah, kind like of surprised. between between both, between um, the Presents and the Hour Long, um, they did run for a total of 10 years. Uh, so, number one song was Tequila by the Champs. There you go. Oh, made it? famous. To most people, probably uh, because of Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Yeah, I mean that would come later, but yes, I love that. Uh, like, <laughs> it's like, hey, you know what? That song's pretty popular, but only if somebody's dancing in a bar to it later. Uh, number one film was a thing called uh, The Young Lions. Not familiar with that whatsoever. And then, um, you know, April 1958, Internet, take me away. Where are we at? I love it. Everybody, like I know, like you guys use smartphones and look up stuff, but I could do it for you in real time here. So April thirteenth, our air date. Anything great happen? Um, what was it? Nothing at all. Nothing good happened. And then the next day after that, um, what was it? Uh, Sputnik two was launched uh, um, in orbit. So that's part of the space race. We've talked about that previously. So that that's what was going on. Um, and then also April fourteenth, nineteen fifty eight, Peter Capaldi was born who is my favorite doctor of Doctor Who. So there we go. That, look at that. I came in and showed up, and you helped paper over my uh, inadequacies. Hooray. We did it. The teamwork <laughs> made this dream work. Uh, right. No, but so let me let me talk a little bit about Alfred Hitchcock Presents. Like you, you, you brought up a good point about this being a thing you would watch alongside the Twilight Zone. Um, this did exist, obviously, before the Twilight Zone. Um, and so the original Hitchcock Presents was 55 to 62. And then um, uh, presents the hour long, sorry, was 62 to 65. So that ran kind of almost parallel to the Twilight Zone. Um, Hitchcock was always trying to get in the TV at this point. Uh, if you look at his uh, filmography, this was like when he was hitting his peak. Like not, not that this guy had, like he had hits and like achievements before this. But during, let's see here, uh, leading up to um, where this episode aired in 58, the films that had come out before that, um, the, he had, uh, well, in 58, he put out Vertigo and North by Northwest, which those are both phenomenal movies. Vertigo at the time was a bit of a box office flop, but now a lot of people and myself consider it to be one of the greatest films of all time. Uh, but yeah, before this, like, I mean, he was, he, he had to catch thief in 55 or a window in 54. Um, you know, he was the firing all cylinders. And this is like when he finally had some of his best studio control and could do what he wanted to do. And this is, um, a year and a half away from psycho. Think about that. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, he really was the man at that time. Yeah, I mean, came out in '63 as well. So it's like he really was just like in control of his own destiny at that point. Yeah, I mean, it would like this would start to be like his final hurrah in terms of like his output. But uh, but yeah, this was like when he was at the like the height of his powers. Right? I mean, not that the guy like he had some amazing films before this too. And I would recommend people if you want me to to gush about Hitchcock. Uh, there's the show that I'm, I've been um, been on a few times, uh, humbly so. Uh, talk without rhythm, that's hosted by the the El Goro. We I've been on there th- uh, three times to talk about Hitchcock films with him, and it's there's a lot of fun to be had there. Hitchcock is an interesting uh, director, um, very um, conflicted personality to get into. I'll just leave it at that right now. We don't have that much time to get into it here, uh, but I did a big, big, big deep dive into his life and his, his output. And there's still more to discover, including his TV work. There was uh, seven total episodes between presents and the Hitchcock hour that he actually directed. So I thought this would be a fun one to get into because it's one of the ones he directed. So I figured that'd be kind of a good way to kind of 
cover the show, like the, the actual show itself, and then actually get into him. Another thing, too, that he did before you know Twilight Zone did it was he was always in the intro and um, the outros of these, always kind of playing like the host and like the character. It usually was in comedic situations, which was fun to see this. Yeah, definitely. It's a, it was a real treat to, to watch this and kind of relive my youth. I mean, kind of like I, you know, I'm 39 years old now. Probably the last time I would have seen any of these episodes was back when 30 years ago. So yeah, it just it, there, that just goes to show you how how long it's been since I popped on one of these episodes. Yeah, and then you hear that intro music, which I forget the name of the actual, but everyone knows the the very iconic. Yeah, and that silhouette, like that um, that drawing, that was his little logo. He came up for himself like years before, and he would kind of be that was kind of like his little like not his autograph, but when he'd send out like gifts to people, that was the image he would uh, scribble, and the very famous silhouette and everything. So yeah, it's very very iconic. Um, so yeah, that's why we picked this one. It's directed by Alfred Hitchcock. Uh, but yeah, let's get into to um, who who else did what here. Okay, so yeah, uh, I'm not sure if you had mentioned it, but uh, this episode was season three, episode 28. Oh, thank you. And, uh, I couldn't even yeah. get th- that right or like the day and date stuff. So thank you. I'm in shambles here. So thank you for covering up my uh, my inability to do a show correctly. Thank you, Terry. No problem. And then, so, uh, so our writer on this is actually a pretty famous writer. Uh, a, a lot of, uh, probably teenagers, uh, would know some of his work, uh, Rode, uh, doll. Yeah. It's, Ro- yeah, it's rolled, rolled doll. R O A L D doll. It's a, it's an odd name. He was named after a Norwegian explorer explorer. Cause he's actually Norwegian, I think. And, and, um, in the birth and actually ended up um, like moving to uh, well, he was born in Wales, but his, his family is Norwegian. And so that's kind of what happened there. Right. So, and then uh, he did six other, uh, or I'm sorry, six episodes altogether of the Alfred Hitchcock presents as a writer. Um, But I think most people might know his credits from uh, Charlie and the chocolate factory, which obviously was, uh, it was uh, adapted into Willy Wonka and the chocolate factory. And then again, adapted into Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, the terrible remake. Um, he also did uh, the story uh, for The Witches, which is an incredible film, uh, the original again. Uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox, which is a lot of fun. I like uh, that movie a lot. Movie. Yeah, it's a lot of yeah, fun. Yeah, it's, it's fun. Um, and Matilda, which uh, they are bringing back as a musical. So, yeah, okay. so it's, it, his work is still relevant. Yeah, very much like a child, like a teen, children, like young young kid author, not like maybe some teen stuff, like James the Giant Peach as well. Uh, but yeah, he, so his life is crazy. I, I decided to do a little bit more look into what he did. Uh, so he uh, was born into some, into some money. Uh, there were some hardships there. Like he lost his father young age and lost some siblings. But uh, for the most part, he had like um, a lot of access to education. And the funny thing is that, that no one remembers him being any, like any good at writing while he was in school, which I think is funny. Like his teacher said that like everything he would write, like he was always like whatever he'd write, like it was like the opposite of what he was trying to do. So whatever. Uh, but eventually it, uh, he ended up um, joining um, the Bro- British Royal Air Force uh, during World War II. And, um, what happened there is he actually, uh, became, um, he actually got into some, uh, major combat and he was one of the, the first planes he was assigned is called a Gloucester gladiator. It was the last biplane 
it, like that style plane that was in use in the Royal Air Force, meaning he was flying a biplane in World War II going against like other fighter planes, you know, like the ones that were a little sleeker and more like, you know, World War II looking versus this biplane, like, you know, like Snoopy and the Red Baron. Yeah, um, I was going to yeah. say, was he, was he fighting the Red Baron? <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah. Uh, and um, so what happened at that point, though, something occurred where he ended up in a uh, like a really bad crash with that plane and he fractured his skull, lost his vision for quite a long time. And then, of course, as all men at this time was like, you know what? I'm going to heal up and go back up in the sky. Uh, Dupe was a part of a a couple different, um, like big, big sky fights and ended up having at least five confirmed kills in the sky. But everyone like believes it's more. So he, because he had five confirmed, um, like shooting down a planes, he is considered an ace. So he was an ace in the the Royal Air Force actually like was, um, he was eventually retired due to medical issues because he had headaches. No, no doubt because, you know, getting your head cracked open. Uh, but he actually like when they retired him, he actually had a pretty high rank. Uh, so World War II flying ace. And then also in the meantime, like in the forties, he was writing like children's books. And so that's where he kind of started getting some of his acclaim, but where he really got started though, was that, uh, someone was going to write some accounts of like the, the fighter pilots and they, and some, somebody that was putting together an article said, Hey, tell me the story. Cause there was a crazy story about like a dog fight that you had. He's like, just give me, just write it out. And then I'll like, basically he was like, I'm going to ask other pilots and I'm going to take like their accounts and kind of like I'll hammer it into a story. Cause basically he's like, I'm a writer. I understand people can't always get their thoughts across what doll submitted to him. He was like, Oh, this is like, we're just going to publish this. This is actually perfect. So he kind of got published by accident uh, because of like he was writing was actually pretty straightforward and, and very engaging. And so at that point he started writing other things too, but then there was a bit where he um, actually wrote suspense and, and things like that, which we get into the Hitchcock stuff here, but he also wrote some movie screenplays. Uh, uh, the bond movie, you only live twice. He wrote the screenplay also for Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Uh, that's all crazy. But then he actually uh, hosted and wrote a science fiction horror television anthology series called way out, which preceded the twilight zone series on CBS. And it was only on for 14 uh, episodes from March to July of 61. Crazy. Yeah. Well accomplished, man. Uh, it's just, it, you, you really don't put into context how much, uh, these guys were doing prior to having like, you know, uh, writing careers or, uh, anything on film. And I, I remember you bringing up the one guy who was in, uh, who was on star Trek. Uh, and he was in like the British Royal, uh, Oh yeah. Uh, James, well. James Doohan. He was like, yeah, he was uh, flying planes and got, uh, credit for doing maneuvers that weren't considered possible, but he wasn't even a pilot. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> Yeah. Crazy. Uh, yeah. But it's like this thing. It's like, Oh, what happened? Yeah. I, um, I, uh, fought in world war two, got a lot of confirmed kills, wrote kids books and I'm beloved by generations. And I'm like, well, what did I do today? Well, I, uh, went to a doctor's appointment and then went to McDonald's after cause I deserved a treat for going to McDonald's or sorry to the doctor, not McDonald's. So, you know, I'd say almost the same thing, almost the same life life lived. There. I, I like to think that your treat for going to McDonald's was go to doctor. Yeah, so. yeah. It's like, you know what? I went to the doctor. I got to treat myself. I'm going to go to the I went, like, yeah, I went to McDonald's. I'm going to treat myself by going to the doctor. Yeah, that's what happened. Yeah. <laughs> and they drew blood. So, so I'm like, look at that. It's barbecue sauce. <laughs> Joke's on you, you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, um, but Roll Doll, like, we're, I don't think we're going to get the opportunity to really talk about him again unless we end up covering another episode of Alfred Hitchcock Presents or The Hour. But I just wanted to point out that, like, you know, my God, this guy had a life. 
Yeah, definitely. So, uh, yeah, into the cast we go, I guess. Um, yeah. So we have uh, leading us off here is uh, Barbara Bell uh, Gettys. Gettys. Yeah, Gettys. Yeah, yeah Gettys. Uh, so, and she plays uh, Mary Maloney in this. Uh, she was in three episodes of the Albert Hitchcock Presents. She also did an episode of Playhouse 90, which mm-hmm. connects to our, obviously, our our past discussions of, uh, you know, Twilight Zone and everything. Uh, she was in Vertigo. Yeah. And then uh, probably the, her biggest credit was 304 episodes of Dallas. Okay. I, you know, I, I skipped over that. I, I'm, a, I'm a bad uh, writer of notes. Clearly, go back to the first part of the episode, people. Uh, but I wanted to point out she was Midge in Vertigo. She was like, um, like uh, the, the best friend slash, like she wanted to be in love with Jimmy Stewart or she was in love with Jimmy Stewart's character. And she plays a very thankless role in terms of the character, but she is a very important character to the story. Cause she's also kind of an anchor for the audience too. And uh, like, again, I, I will talk about vertigo for hours and uh, seeing her in this too. is like, and giving her the lead. Awesome. Yeah. So uh, next here we have Alan Lane. He plays Patrick Maloney. Uh, he plays, uh, you know, the, the, the husband of Mary. Uh, he, his biggest credit I found was, uh, he was a voice of Mr. Ed and, uh, the Mr. Ed series. Yeah. I, I, just, like, <laughs> I mean, I consider that big. I used to watch this. No, Ed. but don't, don't you, like you talk about like Nick and Knight and stuff, or even just like Nickelodeon in general. I saw so much Mr. Ed. I probably seen saw the same four episodes over and over again, but I remember it. Um, but yeah, you look at this guy who's like this, like, you know, playing like the stone faced, just asshole in this episode. And you're like, hello, Wilbur. Like, just what? Like, is that him? Like, you know, maybe they needed to put like a sugar cube in his mouth to make his mouth like move around a little bit as he's giving the lines, you know, but yeah, it's funny that he actually was Mr. Ed. That's uh crazy. Yeah. And then outside of that, uh, another big credit for him was, uh, he played the red rider in a lot of different, like, uh, short story movies, I okay. guess there was a lot of credits where he's red rider. So really don't know that much about it it was like probably during the 40s i believe it was it sounds so. like a western serial or something i mean that makes sense yeah so the next here we have uh harold j stone he plays the lieutenant jack uh noonan he, uh he was in uh two alfred hitchcock presents episodes and two alfred hitchcock hour episodes mm-hmm. uh, he was also in a, an episode of twilight zone and that was the arrival. Yeah, that was uh, season two, episode two. Um, and a weird episode, but he's good in it. Uh, he was also in uh, X, the man with X-ray eyes. Uh, so I wanted to, to mention that as well. That's a movie I need to get to, but I know it kind of lives in infamy for me because the the poster and also it's been it's been referenced in other materials in regards to like that kind of like fifties um, like science fiction slash horror to get into. Yeah. And uh, he also was uh, in an episode of Playhouse 90 and Spartacus. Oh, and The Wrong Man. Uh, so the Hitchcock film, have... The Wrong Man. I just, I'm sorry. I wanted to note all the Hitchcock connections. Yeah. With The Wrong Man, which I've not seen, he was in that as well. Sorry. Okay. Continue, please. And then next here we have uh, Ken Clark. He plays uh, Mike, the policeman assistant. Uh, he was Ohio born. So we always wanted to make sure that we point out the fact that uh, some of our uh, famous lead actors or actors that participate in these things uh, are born in Ohio because we are in Ohio. I was born in Ohio. You were not. <laughs> so, <laughs> As in the listener? No, I mean, uh, yeah, I, I was not. Yeah. I didn't have the yeah. good sense, Terry, to be born in Ohio. Damn you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
But you had enough sense to stay here. Stay <laughs> yeah. you came here. Well, I mean, you know, I met my wife and we have a house here, so I guess I'm stuck here for a bit. And I podcast with you, so all right. Yay. Yay. Yeah. Yay. All uh, right. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, so three episodes of the Alfred Hitchcock uh, Presents. He was also in Attack of the Giant Leeches. <laughs> so I don't know if you have anything for Ken Clark. Um, he was also an episode of uh, Desilu Playhouse, which um, if we, we, we recall, uh, the Westinghouse Desilu Playhouse is where Time Element played, which was the the um, pilot for Twilight Zone. Yeah. Good. And then uh, next here is uh, Robert C. Ross. He plays Forensic Doctor. Wait, uh, do you think his friends called him Bob Ross? Bob Ross. Well, did it, I mean, with that would have been pretty cool, but only in like <laughs> well, happy little it, 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 happy OG little smack to the head, happy little like you know contusion. All right, yeah, the OG Bob yeah. Ross, yeah. So uh, yeah, he had seventeen credits. wasn't really familiar with those credits, um, but uh, next here is a uh, Robert. I'm sorry, uh, William Keen. Uh, he plays the fingerprint policeman. Uh, two episodes of the Twilight Zone. He was in uh, the Prime Mover and. The uh, the Midnight Sun, and then um, he, I, he was in Johnny Midnight, an episode of Johnny. Midnight. Oh, you pull. Okay, thank you. I didn't. I didn't find. I I was looking for that or Hawaiian Eye. Thank you for saving my bacon there. I just want to point out that wouldn't it have been better if he was the fingerprint policeman in the Fear, um, that season five episode, of the original series with the police car, with the giant fingerprints yeah, on it. When they've been like, guys, stand back. I'm the fingerprint <laughs> policeman. It's fine. Right. And he still brings out a magnifying glass to look at it. <laughs> yeah, but it, could it be one of those like overly large, like comical ones where like, it's just, that would be like, guys, I got to look at this. Um, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, the Johnny midnight thing is a connective nice. tissue that Thank we, you. we brought up so many times in the, in the past. And it's, after over a year and a half, we finally found another one. And well, it, well, it's <laughs> funny that we had to go back to an episode from like the fifties, right. To pull in a Johnny midnight reference. So thank you. Um, you know, like surprise, yeah. surprise, there weren't too many, um, you know, in 1978s invade. Well, there could have been, you know, in the invasion of the body snatchers, but like, you know, when we get to the East Twilight zone, not too many Johnny midnight references there. I'll just let, let people know that there wasn't a Hawaiian eye one. So continuing, please continue. That is true. That is true. We were able to find that. But uh, yeah, so next here is uh, Thomas Wilde. Uh, he plays the photographer. Um, he is in one other episode of the Alfred Hitchcock Hour, or I'm sorry, Presents, at some Perry Mason. And then real quick here, the last credit I have is Otto uh, Waldus. Mm -hmm. uh, he plays Sam. One other episode of uh, Alfred Hitchcock Presents and Playhouse 90 as well. And Attack of the 50-Foot Woman. So I thought that'd be worthy of mentioning. Um, I, I Just circle back to Roald Dahl for a second. Um, have you seen um, Four Rooms? The film Four Rooms or no? I have not. Uh, that was the one that uh, it was um, it, well, it was Rodriguez, uh, Tarantino, and I forget the two other directors, but they all made a, a, an anthology film where like um, Tim Roth played a bellhop that ended up um, interacting with four different rooms, and each room story was directed by a different director and based upon a different story. Um, the fourth story in that was one that oh, what was it called like the man, the man from Jamaica or something? It was. It's been done twice when Alfred Hitchcock. Um, it was a Roald Dahl story, and if you don't know what that story is, I don't want to give it away. It's a really, it's a really cool story, but uh, it was like Tarantino thought enough of it to be like, I'm going to redo that in four rooms. So if people have not seen that movie, it's a little uneven, but it's worthy of the watch. 
um, especially that last segment. It's a it's a it's a humdinger. Yeah, I have to. That's something I I have to get back to. I remember it being on cable and everything, but I never really invested any time in seeing it. I just but, yeah, there's so. this whole thing where it just uh, Tim Roth is trying to talk to somebody else, and they're high, and he was like, he's like, I had I had sex with a coven of witches, and they're like, you had sex with an oven full of witches, which is my favorite <laughs> like favorite line from that. Uh, like you had sex with an oven full of witches. You know, that's a that's a different movie. Um, but anyway, so let's see here and there. Um, let's get into, uh, land of the slaughter. Um, yeah. So I don't know where you want to start with this. I don't know if we want to get to the wraparound or not with Hitchcock, uh, being pulled over for, uh, shopping in the slow lane or whatever, which I thought was funny. I thought that was a funny bit. Um, I also like his product placement that he showed there too. I don't know if you had any notes for that or if you even saw any of that stuff. I just did. He's yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, He's in a grocery store and he's getting written a ticket by a police officer, and uh, and it's because he was in like what was it? He was just like parked in the fast lane or something like that, some kind of joke like that. Yeah, he was supposedly stopped at the condiments aisle with his cart and was holding up traffic. So the whole thing is supposedly it's you know um, the juxtaposition of a, gr- a grocery store with like driving cars. Right. So he got a ticket for driving in the slowly and looking at condiments. And he was like, but I was just like, I was distracted by this, this wonderful product where he says he pulls up a box that was called low calorie calories, which I thought was funny. Yeah. That, and it totally makes sense nowadays. So it's like, it seems like everything's low calorie, low carb, uh, gluten free. So I was like, yeah, oh, that's still kind of relevant. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so then he, uh, he does, the product placement thing, which there's a commercial break there. That's the one thing that's interesting about watching this is there's these uh, commercial breaks that are built into the episode, but we don't see the commercials. I, w- I really wish I could see what those commercials were. Just, it, you know, it would be a bunch of misogyny and cigarettes. I would, I mean, it would be great to see them, but you'd be like, oh no, none of this is aged well. You know, like keep your yeah, woman exactly. in your house, keep her smoking, make sure she's not wearing shoes. Back to the show, you know, whatever. Oh, geez. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, people, you're probably I'm, not far off. I'm, say, I'm, I'm saying something of the time. I'm not saying that's how I, but anyway, continue. That's not my beliefs, please. No, I, you know, <laughs> no, I've seen, I've seen an episode or two of Mad Men. I have an understanding of it. <laughs> well, considering I was digging into like when we're getting into some of the Rod Serling stuff and a lot of his uh, transitions and his introductions to next episodes would turn into an Oasis cigarette commercial. Yeah. It's not, it's, it's, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if that's all it was, you know? So anyway, yeah, let's get into uh Lambda the slaughter. Okay. So we get, um, we get our, our lead actress here, Mary, and, uh, she is home and she's waiting for her husband to arrive. She sees he comes into the driveway and that, so she starts getting the house ready for him to come in. And she's happy to see him in that. And, uh, she puts like 800 uh, cigarettes in that box. Did you see that at the beginning? She's like, yes, Dazzy smokes. And she just shoved like an entire carton's worth of cigarettes in that box. I don't know if you noticed that or not. Um, I didn't even catch that, no. <laughs> it, was like, it was like every cigarette in like, you know, the world is being shoved in that box. And then also the music is really upbeat and playful, which I think is really funny considering what we're about to get into. Right. So uh, we get her husband, Patrick, that comes to the door. And we notice he's a police officer. And, and it's dark out, so it must have been a long day for him. And Mary's, you know, upbeat. And she's trying to talk to him about his day. And he's very silent, very, very cold. 
goes directly for the liquor and starts drinking straight what I assume is probably bourbon or, or whiskey or whatever and still not answering Mary, but she's still like, okay, well maybe, maybe, you know, it's the, the thing for, I forget what case she said, but whatever, there's some kind of case that he's been working on and having trouble with it. And she just chalks it up to a bad day. She's like, well, you know, since we had these dinner plans, I'll go ahead and cancel those and we'll stay home and I'll, I'll make you a real good meal. It will just take a little longer but I'll get the meat out of the freezer. And when she's about to go to the freezer, that's when Patrick finally speaks up and he says, well, where are you going? He's like, well, I'm going to go get the meat. Well, before she and does that says, though, well, yeah, before she does that first, you're right. He's not responding to anything. He keeps his coat on, he's drinking. And then she's like, Oh, by the way, the doctor did the ring test you know, where they, ha- they hang a ring over your belly. And it's going to be a boy. And I'm like, well, one, I question all of that science. And two, clearly, you know, they know they're pregnant, right? And she's excited to say we have a boy. And he's not talking. And then, then she's like, oh, you're tired. Then I'll go get your supper. Like, you know, like that's – she is like – you. <laughs> You ever see people that are just like trying to like they I get the feeling that she knows something isn't right, but because also she is a housewife and this is her world. So she her job is to keep the like everything in order and and make her husband happy. So she's doing everything in her power to make it as welcoming as possible. And you really feel that in her face and the way she delivers those lines. Yeah, I, I it makes me think that perhaps uh this is been a long time coming whatever about we're about to hear her in oh, a second for sure yeah yeah so you know she's the, the kind of wife that you know you know thick and thin this is her this is her husband she's going to do her best to you know con- control the situation put it on the straight and narrow so um that's you know yeah i'm glad you brought up the child thing because that is a very important point to kind of have in the back of your mind during all the rest of these events that happen here. But, um, so Patrick tells her she's going to want to sit down. He's got something to tell her and she is thrown off by this. She says, well, well, I don't know what to make of all this. And that's when he comes out with it and he says, I'm leaving you. I found somebody else. They love me. I love them. And not only am I going to leave you, but I'm going to go marry this person. And she is just, she looks like she's been hit with, you know, a brick. Like she just doesn't know how to process this. Mm-hmm. Um, she's almost like uh, a catatonic. It's like shock. Yeah, you're right. Like, and, uh, and credit, yeah, well, to, yeah. she's, credit to her, Barbara Belgetti. I'm she, sorry, go ahead. Sorry, no, I'm sorry. I'm cutting you off. I apologize. Credit to Barbara Belgetti. It's a very dialogue heavy, heavy episode with her, but you, the way her face sells it, like you get it. Like as much as we like, when we get to the second half of the episode about like maybe the emotional reactions to be a little bit more here. It works. It still really holds up. Like it is devastating. Yeah. She is, uh, she is thrown off by this completely. Doesn't know how to process it. And, uh, that's, you know, that's when he continues to talk. He says, you know, uh, don't, you know, don't worry about this. It's, uh, I'm going to leave you some money. It's not going to be much. Uh, and naturally, uh, when we ha- when you have the kid, you can keep the child. Yeah, <laughs> like oh, good, uh, like, thanks. Whoa! <laughs> yeah, he says naturally, you can have the baby when it comes. Like, yeah, okay. This is how this is going to go. Okay, cool, dude. You're just like 
wiping your hands of the situation, you're like probably going to throw like 300 bucks on a desk and be like, all right, have a good life. I mean, 300 bucks uh, at that time is probably like a half a million dollars yeah. to be fair. But he's just like, well, you know, thank you for being one half of the pump and dump. You can have the child after it's fine. Uh, thank you. You know, like Christ, like, it's like, what is going on here? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I'm still, I'm going to take the cigarettes and the whiskey uh, and you can keep the child. Um, fair trade. But, uh, no. it, I, it's just, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> not. A, I, I didn't mean, want to make the joke. No, I just. I'm, I mean, I, again, that's his mind. He's like, well, you know, whatever. Like, I'm just. I'll leave you a little bit of money, and you can raise this bastard child that will be, re, you know, resentful of me, and one day will hunt me down, Kill Bill style. But we won't get into that. That's fine. You know, like just, yeah. Like, I like. Have you ever? Have, like, do you recall a time where like we we've, we've run into somebody that is like such a like an evil dick from the jump? You're like, well, there's no redeeming qualities. This guy. All right, cool. Thanks, thanks, sir. You know. <laughs> yeah, I call them my relatives. But, you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's a story for a different podcast. So. <laughs> but oh. yeah, I mean, Ter- Terry, were you traded? Were you cool. traded for a bunch of whiskey and cigarettes? You just never told me. I, was that what happened? Were you whisked away in the night with a whole? <laughs> well, like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> like a reverse Moses There's type of situation. <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry. I'm being an asshole. Please continue. There was a depreciation value. It's more like a, a six pack of Coors Light. It's like, here's some PBR, um, some cool, here, here's, a, here's a PBR, some cool cigarettes. Like, you know, the, the Virginia Slims, you know, whatever. No, I'm kidding. You're, you're worth more than that, Terry. You're more, <laughs> you're worth some like what marble reds or something. I don't know what that, like, I think those, the, those cost more, right? I don't know. Anyway. As long as they're box, you know, they're box, yeah. The, <laughs> yeah. All right. So cool. I'm glad I, I'm moving up <laughs> from Virginia slims to <laughs> marble red. Hey, at least you're not, at least you're not bugler. Um, right. And some, and some, uh, rolling papers, right. At least you're not that. So give yourself some credit, sir. Do you yeah, know what I'm talking yeah, about? The bugler, the loose tobacco. <laughs> All right. Anyway. Yeah. This guy's yeah. a dick. Yeah. <laughs> You, you can have the baby. Yeah, Thanks. Cold, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Patrick's a cold son of a bitch. And uh, he thinks that he could just, this is it. This is the, the new life. Like I can, I all I have to do is give Mary the news, throw her some money down and that's it. I can walk away. So, but uh, Mary is still trying to process this and she just gets up and she starts walking into the kitchen. He's like, well, what are you going to do? What are you, where are you going? I, I'm going to make you suffer still. Like you can't go anywhere on an empty stomach or whatever the hell she says. Like she really is like not able to really, um, well, you, like, also, you got to consider too this information yeah. properly. Well, one divorce wasn't a thing that really happened then too. And then two, in terms of like, um, women's ability to actually like, you know, like coming out the other end of divorce, like for all intents and purposes, they were, kind of property in terms of like law at that time still. Right. It's like, it's really messed up. So for her to come out of this and be like, I'm divorced with a child. That's like from my previous marriage. Um, that would put her at such like, um, like a, um, like social and economic setback too. Like, I don't know if that's the point of the story, but it's like, she is like, you know, like I've, I've given myself to this guy. I I've believed in this marriage and for him to pull the rug out and be like, yeah, I'm going to leave you and I'm going to make, I'm going to give you a divorce. It's like, it's basically basic, like, like, um, 
it's it's making her it's going to ruin her station in life and her ability to do anything going forward. Like she's ruined. And as a dude, he can just move on. Yeah. It's taking away her, like her whole structure. Essentially. I mean, I'm not saying that, you know, this is how, you know, women live today and that, but this is probably a hell of a lot more close to what, was really transpiring well, I mean, at that time, at least on television. Did you, well, too, did you know, know like, that like it, it took until like the mid seventies for uh, women to have their like ability to get their own checking account. Like, think about that. Ridiculous. Yeah. I mean it's like primitive. It's so pr- <laughs> like the, the thought process is so primitive. To yeah. Me. So <laughs> I'm saying like, but for him to like basically kick the legs out from under her, right. In this instance, it's like, it, yeah, I mean, in terms of like looking at this from a story standpoint, and you know, like we're looking at from our lens today of like, well, that's a dick move. It's like, it is not just a dick move. It is, it is just scorched earth devastation, you know, in terms of the, like of, of where she's at position wise, because like, do we know, like uh, here, forgive me. Like, do we know if she has any, like, uh, any like job skills? I mean, yeah, she's, she's a homemaker and a housewife, which is a hard job. Like it's an amazingly hard job, but like, how do you put that on a resume and go out in the workforce? You know, like it just, right. you know what I mean? It's like, you know, she was given, she accepted the role and he's like, yeah, you know what? I don't love you. I found it. I found a side piece, you know, good luck. You know, you're busted and you're going to have a kid that you could totally keep. Like, I can understand that it's like, it's not just dropping a bomb on her. It's like, it's just, it's dropping like, it is the bomb to end all bombs on her. So when she's going in the kitchen and she's like in this like a state of shock of like, but I got to fix you supper. Like, you know, like, I think we could all say that we've had those moments of like pure shock where we don't know what to do other than just like something. I could relate to that. Yeah. And, and, and again, this is probably part of like an ongoing, uh, Thing that they've been dealing with for the long period of time where yeah. she, they're not completely happy in this relationship, but she's going to do her best to, you know, bring again back like some kind of structure to what she thought was like a normal marriage. So she's going to go make him a meal. She goes out to the garage and to the freezer and pulls out this, I mean, gigantic piece <laughs> of meat. Like it's just, it's wild how big this thing is. It is like, Brontosaurus size meat that she gets out of the freezer. I'll give you. I thought it was like I was watching like a a black and white version of the Flintstones. Which originally that's where it aired. The Flintstones was in black and white. So you're talking about the large rack of ribs that knocked the car over. Yeah, that's not that's not unfair. So it's that, and I'd also equate it to Captain Caveman's Club. Like that's how big it is <laughs> or, or well, that's if, a fair, that's yeah. a fair assessment. Well, fair enough. Right. <laughs> or if I'm playing was, um, streets of rage, if I hit an oil barrel, I expect this leg of lamb under it, you know, as a health item, that's how big this is. Like I'm going to reach for it in the <laughs> yeah. middle of a fight and just, you know, like it is, it's like, it's Renaissance fair large. Like it's huge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's uh, it, it's a massive piece of meat, and she unwraps it, and she's going to, you know, start making this. And she sees that Patrick is still in the living room, but now he's got his back towards her, and she says, "Well, what are you doing?" He's like, "Well, I'm leaving tonight. I'm getting out of here." And it looks like he's put cat putting some cash down on the on the desk there, and he's going to roll out. And she pleads with him, which we heard in uh, the beginning part of this episode, um, the audio that you played, that she's pleading with him to stay and that he can't go, that she won't let him. And that's when he says the famous line that you played also is that, try to stop me. And that's when she walks over to him and 
just waylays him in the back of the head with this gigantic piece of meat. Like I, I guess it's probably a, a, a leg of lamb because is I mean, lamb, obviously yeah. the title of the yeah. So I mean, just, just not. <laughs> I don't know if it's I don't I don't know if it's a leg of lamb, but it's definitely up all of the lamb. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah it's lamb side oh, um yeah. yeah no but the way like but, uh, yeah, yeah this yeah she just she just like just hauls off and just drops it on him and it's very effective it's a it's a it's a good shot there's some uh there's some tracking shots in this for the small the small set i just want to point out the way the camera follows her follows her and also, like, there's times where the camera does decide to leave her walking away. But, like, this this whole sequence of her walking over and bringing that leg of lamb up to clock him on the head is very effective. Yeah, very much so. Uh, I mean, it, it, it tells a lot without having to show very much of it. And so he's dead on the ground. And she starts thinking about what the next part of the process is. So we get some shots of her sitting at the kitchen table. Uh, just contemplating. She eats a few grapes, and those grapes must have gave her knowledge because she she knows what she's going to do now. So she goes ahead and she calls up her friend to tell her that, well, Patrick's not feeling very well, and they're not going to be able to make it over for dinner tonight. And uh, the next thing she does is she puts that that lamb, uh, that lamb leg or whatever the hell it is, into the oven. Gets that going. And she goes out to the market. And at the market, she picks up some different groceries. And when she comes back to the house, uh, she opens uh, in like basically the voyeur where she she would be right next to the door. She drops all of her groceries onto the floor and starts to set up the, the house like it was ransacked by somebody or, you know, there was a scuffle of some sort. And. That's when, uh, when she's done with that, she went ahead and called the police. Yeah, but I like that she actually stops for a second. And you get her taking the entire bag of groceries of the vegetables and whatever glassware she bought and holds it above her head to try to get like the maximum impact. And then she goes around trying to make the whole se- the whole area look like a struggle happened. And I don't know if you noticed um, when she picked up, like she knocks over some tape, like end tables and moves some like papers around. She just picks up two pillows and just shakes them and then sets them back down. I'm like, yeah, the cops will be thrown off by that. I thought that was, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's just like, but I mean, like I watch a lot of forensic files. I could imagine <laughs> that a lot of those cases that are staged, like stage uh, scenes, this is what people are probably going through. They're like, Oh, I remember watching uh, Lamb to the Slaughter, and she moved the pillows. That's what we got to do, too. <laughs> but it's like she didn't even, like, <laughs> toss them. She just shook them and just set them back down. It's like, oh, you lightly dusted these pillows. Yes, that's what's happening. I get. I mean, I get it, but it's a very it's an effective scene because we now know, like, one, you're right. She told her friend, oh, we can't make it. He's tired, which was kind of like, you know, when whenever he first came in, she said she would do that. And so it sounds like it was kind of par for the course for a guy being a police officer. You're like, who knows the, the the stuff he was dealing with? And also who knows where they're at in their relationship? Maybe there's a lot of call-offs in terms of like cancellations for like goings on. But I like, I do like that she was like doing the best she could to be methodical about it. And then once she did all that, that's when she called the police. Um, and I thought that was like, so I want to put this to you. I thought I knew where this, the story was going. Cause I've always heard about this. I didn't know. I didn't know exactly how it was going to turn out because I'll tell you at the end, what I thought actually happened didn't happen at all. 
But isn't it kind of isn't it kind of um, a lot more fun to see the murder happen and to see her try to dodge it versus the mystery of a guy on the floor and us as the viewer trying to figure out what happened? I think it's a lot more fun that we're co-conspirators in the story than what this could have been. No, that's fair. I mean, it, it, it's kind of reminiscent uh, of me watching Rope because we yes. do see the murder in the beginning of the That's movie and we are witness to it. I, I know you weren't the biggest fan of that film, but it's the same thing of like, are they going to get away with it? Like what complications are going to happen? This, this is kind of, this is like a bite sized version of that film. I know it wasn't your, your favorite, but I, I adore rope, but I understand why I understand why that maybe it wasn't your favorite thing, but at least you as the viewer, you're, you are complacent in the murder. You know what I mean? In that weird way of like, you're the voyeur. It's the same thing with this. Yeah, yeah, totally. And, you know, and this is a pretty tight story for everything that happens in it. And I think it works really well. Uh, As far as like what you're talking about, um, not really expecting the outcome here. I was I was pretty I was pretty surprised, too. And, yeah, I know sometimes uh, we can judge a book by the title in a sense. (laughs) Uh, I guess it would be the better way of uh, encapsulating the statement, because. There are episodes that we've watched of the Twilight Zone where you kind of knew what the hell the episode was going to be about just by the title alone. I didn't know where we were going to go here with this title, but nonetheless, um, she she has the cops come over and they they start assessing the situation, and the detective, you know, gives her the the normal questionnaire: what's going on? How did you find them? All that jazz. And he really wants to get down to the 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 integral parts of the engagement of when Patrick came home and how Mary greeted him and all that. Really, to try to find some some kind of angle here of what happened, because there's no information. There's nothing provided at all. It doesn't look like anybody broke into the house. Yes, we see this place that's like disheveled, but there wasn't any kind of struggle with Patrick, who was also armed too. So. You know, there's some discussion with another police officer. Um, so they, they're trying to figure out the layout of this and why it happened the way it did. And they keep on coming back to the point that whatever happened had to have been somebody he knew. And it was a blitz attack. Yeah. I just, I, so credit to them. They figured that out pretty quick. No, Noonan's, <laughs> Noonan's actually pretty on point with like, like with all the, the forensic evidence, like for their understanding of forensic, you know, um, pathology at the time or, or criminology at the time. He, something's not like, it's not passing the smell test. Right. So I like that. He's at least like, kind of like trying to be like, well, this isn't adding up, which that's another thing too. That's a lot of fun with a lot of Hitchcock works is like you get characters kind of like, like figuring things out, which I will point to a psycho, which will be like a year and a half from now when this comes out, where there's a lot of like, Oh, well, none of this is adding up, but it's like you as the viewer, like the, like, um, like Hitchcock once said that, um, having like having people talking around a table than having a bomb blow up, you know, that, that is a shock. He's like, however, showing a timer on the bomb and then showing people around the table talking is, is, is way more suspenseful because you know, something like something's going to give. And with this, it's like the ticking clock is we know that she did this and just watching him pick apart everything that doesn't make sense. 
that's where you get like, that's where the fun is in this episode. And also too, I want to point out that like, do you see how meek she's playing everything? She's like, I'm just a housewife. I mean, I suppose, I don't know. And how all the men aren't pushing her because she's just a housewife. You know, like, it's like, it doesn't occur right. to them that she might actually know something, but she's like, well, if you say so, I don't know. I'm just doing, it's like, like, it's just, she's hiding in plain sight and no one's paying attention because that's what they expect of her. And I think it's, it's easy to miss that watching it, especially the way we view relationships now, but it's like, none of, none of these guys are really actually paying attention to her. And, it, and because of this, like none of them are looking at her <laughs> and it's like, like everything is not adding up. She's right there. And there's even the bit later on where, um, like, um, the one detective's like, do you think it could have been a woman? <laughs> and Newton's like, Oh, you know, maybe. And then they say within earshot of her with the, uh, within earshot of, uh, what Mary, um, not what's it's her name. It's Mary, right? It's Mary. I'm sorry. I keep, Mary. Yeah, Mary. I keep wanting to say Barbie Belgettis. And, and it's like, well, we do know how this guy liked to fool around. It's like, oh, so you're openly admitting to like infidelity in front of her. And then you're like, you know what? She's not a suspect with her dead husband, three feet away from her. <laughs> like, it's just like, I it's, it's, it's one of those things that you might view that that hasn't aged. Well, I would view it's baked dead to what was going on. Yeah. And I, I do, kind of suspect that this is a little bit of a rope-a-dope in a sense if they're saying it that close to her they got to know that she could possibly hear them maybe maybe they're also hoping for an emotional reaction yeah which by the way the way that she's like 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 wouldn't you openly expect if you just walked in and you were so distraught that you threw all your groceries out of the place and you saw your spouse on the floor dead I, you know, it's 2022. I think that you'd be a little bit more like, you know, openly sobbing as opposed to, Oh, I know it's an inconvenience. I'm just going to sit here three feet away from my husband. While that girl, that, that guy runs, um, his fingers through my dead husband's hair. It's a little, a little weird, especially the medical examiner's like, I don't know. His skin's not broken. And it could have been, I don't know, some kind of blunt object. And he's like, kind of a, a club shape. Like he did it with his hands. It's like kind of, I don't know. It's almost as if there was uh, a frozen, a frozen piece of meat that hit him. And they're like, that, that's not here. Like that's silly talk. I know they don't say it, but the, like, it's almost like, like they're, they're saying, they, it's like, they're saying every possible object aside from the actual murder weapon, right? As they, as Noonan notices that the oven's like on. So, I mean, that's a little silly, but it's still kind of fun. Yeah. And it's just like I'm imagining off in the distance, uh, some, if they hear a voice yelling, Captain Caveman, yeah. Captain Lambshank, you know, whatever, you know, just, uh, yeah, <laughs> um, it's just, <laughs> um, I, I'm just going to play this. This is uh, from a movie that uh, it's, it's it has nothing to do with this, but in terms of like, they're talking about a murder weapon uh, and, and Terry knows this clip. It's from a, a 1980s uh, Italian film called Hands of Steel. Uh, this is what it sounds like when the medical examiner was talking to the cop. It wasn't especially large, but it felt hard, extremely hard. Yeah, that's pretty much what they said, right? I, I mean, basically. <laughs> <laughs> it felt hard and it killed him. So that's what I, when I heard, when I heard the talking about the club shape, I'm like, that's what I thought about. I, I, I laughed when I watched, when I saw that for the first time. 
So, you know, of course, this is kind of a high-profile thing as well with uh, Patrick being a police officer. These people, these other uh, cops know him. So there's quite a bit of, uh, you know, people on the scene to check it out, to investigate the area. So not only do we have the different police officers inside kind of trying to figure out the crime scene, but now we have them outside scouring around the house. And at the same time, we get... uh, Lieutenant Noonan trying to not necessarily grill Mary, but really trying to get down to the specifics still. Like, do you see anything that's, uh, or notice anything that's missing from around the house? Something that could be used as the murder weapon. And she's again, playing kind of coy, very like nonchalant. Like, I don't know what could have been used. I, I mean, what, what, what are you looking for? He says, you know, something like a, you know, like a club, like a bat. Yeah, like a bat. No, we don't have a bat. Well, okay. Well, let's go around the house. <laughs> well, if it's not if it's not a bat, then we'll, let's look around the house, and we're gonna we're gonna see if possibly something's missing. Like so, what? What about these oddly endeavor. tossed pillows? Do you think they killed him? Like I don't know. I'll have to check it out. No, yeah. So they go room by room, and it ends up becoming a thing. They're where, real lumpy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like like they'll put a crick in your neck or break it. I don't know. Um. So, uh. So then. The, the, yeah, the becomes like this thing was like over time, like we find out later, like they're going through room to room and it's becoming late. It's like, it's like 1030 or something. Right. Um, so, um, yeah. And he was like, uh, Noonan's like, do you want to stay at your friend's house? She's like, no, nah, I couldn't possibly do that. And like, by the meantime, they're also dragging the body out too. Did you see like on the stretcher, they're taking out uh Patrick. And so the whole thing is like the, like Noonan and his partner was like, well, we're going to be here all night. So if you need to take a rest, take a rest, it should work. And then she's like, well, let me get you a cup of coffee. And while that's going on, then he's like, oh, nobody thought to turn off the oven. Right. And he goes over, he's like, whatever's in here must've been ruined. And he pulls out like this, like, um, I mean, it's black and white photography, but it looks like it's pretty well cooked. Um, whatever it is like, um, you know, um, that hunk of lamb, um, so it becomes a whole thing where he's like, Oh, I would have thought I've been ruined by now. And his partner's like, yeah, me too. And it's like, clearly they're like, I like the idea that they don't understand how kitchens work. And they're like, well, that's what women's work or whatever. Right. And then she's like, Oh, look at that. You know, you, maybe you should have some of this. They're like, no, we can, couldn't possibly, you know, um, you know, Im- Im- like impose on you. We got sandwiches coming. She's like, no, my husband told me like, Never like, you know, always offer kindness. And it's like, she like, so she starts putting her head. She's like, you know what? I'm going to feed these cops this lamb. And like, you can see the gears turning in her head. And they're like, we couldn't possibly do it. She's like, well, no, no, no. Bring all the guys from inside. I'm sure they could like a warm meal. And like, you can't tell me that you didn't smile and kind of like, you know, get tickled by what was about to happen. Oh yeah. Well, and it seemed like she, she was too, because now she's actually pretty jolly about it. Yeah. Um, like, her husband just died. I don't know. I, you could be Susie Homemaker at the same point, but still grieve your husband. <laughs> yeah. But it, so she serves up the meal and everybody's chowing down. So we got like nine cops just de- <laughs> devouring this, this meal. And uh, the one the one cop's like, hey, you think she'd mind if I take this bone home to my dog? <laughs> and he's like, no, no. She said, take the whole thing. Get it out of here. She doesn't want to see it. Like, perfect perfection 
<laughs> I like I like well the two things. One, when she tells them, she's like, "It's a very good meat, I promise you." And then also before the bone talk, the guy's like, "I'm gonna t- I'm gonna cut off a piece of this brown grizzly part." And I'm like, "That doesn't sound appealing at all." Anyway, but yeah, the whole thing has been ripped apart. And he's like, "You think my dog will like this bone?" <laughs> They're like, yeah, she never wants to see this again, says the cop. That's the obvious statement that no one's paying attention to, you know? (laughs) Yeah, I thought that was so much fun. It's like, yeah, she doesn't want to see it again. Like, all right. And then the one cop's like, oh, Patrick missed one hell of a meal. And he's like, hey, hey, keep it down. Keep it down. You know, his widow's in the next room. (laughs) Oh, it's so, it's so stupid, but I love it. Like, it's stupid in the sense of like, oh, it's on the nose, but it's it's wicked, and I love it. <laughs> I was like waiting for them to all put their forks up, like cheers to Patrick for not eating his meal. Like we all got a good one. <laughs> yeah, right. Like you may be on the way out, but we're still here. Thank you for the meat, whatever. Right. But then there's the whole thing where, as they're talking about, like you know, do you know what the weapon is? They're like, we think it could have been this and this and this, and we get the shot of Mary sitting in the living room in a chair uh, against the far wall. And she's like far away. And that slowly pushes in as they're talking. And then we get like, when like basically she realizes she gets away with it, she starts laughing. And then there's this like very much like this comedic music. Um, I'm going to tell you, I feel like this is a dry run for the end of psycho. Hell yeah. When Norma Bates is sitting there in the cell. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was just thinking the exact same thing. Yeah, it's really cool. It's really cool. I mean, it may be having like a widow, like bursting into laughter may not be the right call, but they're full of meat and talking amongst each other. So they're not, also, they've never really paid attention to the entire episode. So why should they start now? You know, but yeah, it yeah. felt like, you know, oh, he would never hurt a fly. And then you know, see Norman there. I feel like that this is like a dry take for or a dry run for that. So I th- I thought this was a really cool ending, and then then we get to like the end of like with, with Hitchcock back talking. He was like, "Oh, you know, she tried doing this again, but her next husband was a bit of like you know absent minded and didn't plug in the freezer. So when she went to take the piece of meat and hit him on the back of the head, it was soft as jelly." I'm like, "Like that's a weird ending to this. Kind of funny, but still a weird ending." Yeah, I. <laughs> I'd like to think that that was just like added in like way, way after the fact for some kind of comical relief. But I'm like, no, I didn't even need that. Like they, they shouldn't have added anything. They shouldn't have added like the the, the comedy music. If they always had her smiling and getting away with it, I think that would have been like, here's your hammer. You're done. But I think Hitchcock was an entertainer in terms of these like TV shows and wanted to leave people like, like, like laughing and being like, oh, that was clever. That's the vibe I kind of get from these. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm pretty sadistic, so I, I think that it was pretty funny as it was. Like her laughing at this own her own little inside joke there. I think that was like, ha ha, you, you got him. <laughs> it, yeah, it's like what was the Simpsons with the Nightmare Cafe? Like the what was that episode? No, it was it Cafeteria the Damned, where it's like you could say Uter was inside of us, like like whatever it was. Yeah, um, but th- this was like it could have been like that. It could have been great to end it on that. Um, but yeah, this was, um, so I recommend this to you. I've heard about this in, in my readings about Hitchcock and knowing about his involvement in the TV shows. Um, so you, you will get to the twist rating here in a second, but in terms of the story, you had no idea what was going, correct? No, not absolutely uh, nothing. I did, I've never seen this. Ep- well, 
let me take that back a sec. It's probably been 30 years since I've seen the story, okay. if I had ever seen it at all. But yeah, I didn't know, especially because of the title, where it was going to go. Okay. So did you enjoy this? Oh, definitely. I okay. thought it was a great story. Okay, good. Um, so for whatever reason, I, th- I like, I don't know why, like I had in my head that she ended up uh, cooking up the body and feeding it to the cops. Uh, I was just like, oh, that's the way to get rid of the body is just feeding, <laughs> feeding your husband to the cops. So I kept expecting that. So when it, when it didn't happen, I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm the monster <laughs> versus like the story. <laughs> oh, um, so I mean, I'm, I'm really, I'm delighted where it went, but I was expecting something way worse than what happened. I mean, there's the murder of a man, but he was a jerk, but I'm expecting him. I was like, all right, all right. You guys like this meat? Yeah. All right. There you go. Enjoy. Feed all your friends. Yeah. I don't know if that would have been greenlit at this point. I mean, you know, it is 1958, uh, regular old television on what? That's fair. CBS or whatever. It's completely fair. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, brought to you by your sponsor, you know, um, uh, bacon, I don't know. Anyway, so yeah, it's low calorie calories. So anyway, uh, did you have other notes about the episode before we get to the twist? I did not. Okay. All right, let's just rate that twist. All right, twist rating here on the show is uh, one we saw come from a mile away and five being mind-blowing. Um, one, since I thought they were going to feed the cop to the other cops, clearly I, my brain was not in the right spot. But um, the, the idea that we are... Uh, co-conspirators and covering up this murder and kind of cheering for the main character and having her get away with it. I'm going to give that a four. Cause I, I kind of knew that like, it was going to be like a, like it's going to be um like a dark, like, like there's going to be black comedy here, but um, I didn't expect it to turn out the way it did. I'm going to align with that four as well. I, I knew something like as soon as they, they said something about the stove, I was like, uh, and now I got a, a group of hungry officers here that I knew kind of toward that part, maybe that they were going to eat it, eat mm-hmm. the meat, but like everything up until that, it, that right at that point, I, I was very surprised by all of the events. Okay, good. Like, I mean, that just tells you that it holds up in terms of storytelling, right? So that was a lot of fun. You could see why this would appeal to Hitchcock because he, he did so much like, you know, always like trying to like he would do a thing to cue the viewer in what's going on because he, he, like, he, he knew they weren't stupid. And I think a lot of his storytelling is still very modern. And I think this is still a very, like if you, this could do it, this could do an update. Like, and it'd be fine. Not that you need to, but like, I feel like, I mean, aside from like, you have upbeat music at the beginning, you don't need it at the end. You don't need the, whatever it is. I will say that if people kind of like this off kilter, kind of like vibe of like it's not what you think it is but not quite check out his film that he did oh, right before this um it is the trouble with harry it came sorry trouble with, yeah trouble with harry came out in 55 uh it's a black comedy um uh, some of the dialogue is really odd because i think it was taken from the book that it was written from but the the premise is that uh uh like the, there's a dead body in like in this like new england town and like everybody thinks they were why Harry died. And so it becomes this whole like, like thing of like, we got to bury him. Oh, we got to unbury him. We got to bury him. It's like, it becomes like this whole series of them, um, burying and unbury like, and, and, and digging out this dead guy over and over again for various reasons. It's a fun movie, but it's really odd. And I feel like that would be, if you like this, check out that film. 
Um, there's a lot of fun dialogue in that, but it's a weird movie. Uh, but yeah, I'm glad that we got into this, man. Like, I cannot wait to dig into more of this show. I, I guess I'm worried because since it's more like, uh, tr- like not true crime, but like crime fiction, like I always wonder where the stories can go because I feel like something like the Twilight Zone has more latitude because it can go all over the place versus just like, yeah, it's murders. Like, am, am I wrong about that? That's kind of, that's my trepidation digging into this in full. I, yeah, I, I'm not sure. I, it, yeah. It's like, it, it just, <laughs> I don't know how to speak towards that really. I mean, like, I think it's an interesting story. I think that it, it has longevity. Um, I'm not sure if that kind of answers your question in any sort of way, well, but, but in terms of that's like, my feeling. The series the- itself feels like it's more of like a crime and murder uh, series, which is fine versus like anything like the twilight zone can be, can be that uh, it can be science fiction. It can be horror. It can be a lot of different things in terms of its setup versus where I think Alfred Hitchcock presents is always suspense. So I don't know. I don't know how much legs that has, but there's a hell of a lot of episodes. So that's why I guess maybe I've been held. I've, I've been, hesitant because I'm like, do I need to see the same thing over and over again? Maybe I'm um, ignorant and realize, and maybe there's a whole um, wealth of goodies here. And I've just been um, a bad, per- bad um, anthology watcher, not getting into it. I mean, like, I think also one of the reasons it probably did so well when it, when it did is because he was on this like trajectory with his career that like, he was the man like there wasn't a, I don't think there wasn't a single person out there that was like who didn't know who Alfred Hitchcock was he might and, have like, been like the first like, of doing. like the first like director with the face that people knew you know like he made such a good job to sell the brand of Hitchcock right like and I think like a lot of people followed after him rightfully so he made it always a point to always have his name above the credits in a lot of ways because he wanted people to know it was his project so yeah, it's a bankable name. So, um, so yeah, anyway. Uh, yeah, let's go do it for our discussion about um, Alfred Hitchcock Presents Lamb to the Slaughter. Uh, let us know what you think about it. Uh, you guys could uh, find us on Facebook at uh, Strange Highways. Uh, you can email us directly at strangehighwayspodcastgmail.com. Wherever you find your podcast, rate and review us would be greatly appreciated. And Terry, where can people find us otherwise? Uh, we're on Instagram, folks. Uh, join the party over there. We're, uh, part, we're posting some fun stuff. Uh, waiting for for waiting for you to <laughs> we're waiting for you to join you, the party you so, specifically yeah, over there check us out you know who you are you sir you <laughs> right now the yeah. one that's about to change over to your next podcast don't do it yet <laughs> yeah you're like oh no they're gonna talk about blue apron or whatever no 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 we're still talking so yeah uh yeah the more the merrier if you enjoy the conversations if there's other things you want us to cover please let us know we're uh, like about all sorts of things anthology not just the twilight zone that's what makes this a fun show and i always appreciate the conversation with terry i always appreciate the interactions with people please do that all right let's just get into what we're doing next and now mr Serling. next episode's another detour because uh god damn it we deserve it um and um I have, um, well, we do deserve it. We went through a a lot of Twilight Zone uh, for good, for bad, and, you know, for otherwise. uh, We deserve a little bit of break before we get to the second half of season one of the 80s uh, iteration. Uh, I, um, we have uh, done, did we do, we did, uh, was it White Christmas, the Black Black Mirror episode? Was it last year for the holiday? Maybe. Where were the year before? I I can't remember. It's been a bit. I think it was the year before. Year before. Um, yeah, so we're going to get back in some black mirror. I, I love this series and I've asked Terry if he, if he would join me in covering season three, episode four, 
San Junipero. So it's available on Netflix. Um, I cannot wait to get into this. Terry doesn't know what he's getting into. It's Black Beer. So yeah, um, tuck in. It's I, I I made Terry watch White Christmas, um, which I think is like it's like seven different stories with seven different sledgehammers. But we're getting into this one. Um, if you've seen it, you know what you're getting into. If not, check it out. Um, it, it's yeah, please. I cannot wait for this discussion. I really, really can't. It's going to be, it's going to, I, Terry, I cannot wait to talk to you about San Diego Perro. I can't say it enough. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's, it's at least right now when we're recording, uh, the new season hasn't arrived yet. So yeah. it's going to get me pumped up for that and, uh, bring me down to another low point getting ready for the holidays. <laughs> <laughs> well, by the time by the time we record next, summer will be over, and officially fall will have happened. As much as people say fall starts like what um, July fifteenth or whatever in our household here, uh, yeah, we'll get into some fall stuff. We're gonna we're gonna keep moving on, but again, everybody recommend uh, some more detours because uh, again, Twilight Zone is gonna be there, but there's other things to get into. It's gonna be a lot of fun. So that's gonna do it for this week. Everybody have a good week, have a safe week, and in the meantime. Um, I don't know. Don't come home and just be an absolute asshole to your spouse, especially when they're pregnant. And and if they're going to do that, um, don't turn your back to them when there's really large meats involved. Yeah. And uh, make sure if said large meat is there, it's not frozen solid that it might kill you. Maybe it takes longer according to how big it is. Well, this is a big one, all right. Yeah, downright it's big.